Welcome, and thank you for joining us at Gallery Church Downtown. Our gathering is about to begin. Please say hello in the comments or connect with us through email at connect at gcbdowntown.com. Take a minute to grab your Bible and open the notes section in our church app to follow along during the teaching. You will also need to have your communion supplies ready for the end of the gathering. Church family, it's good to be together with you. You can grab a seat just for a moment. Um, I know that there are some of you that have been around for a while. Others of us are just getting to know each other, and we are trying to continue to learn what it's like to come back to church after a long time in this pandemic. Um, but I'm glad that we could be together. I know that coming into a gathering like this, especially when our crowd is spread out, there's just a lot of distractions. But our gatherings are designed, and with the church, with the church throughout history, gathered for the purpose of, of a lot of things. One of them was to practice their faith, part was to learn things about God. Other aspects of it was just to grow in love together as a family. And so today, what I thought we could do here at the beginning is while Summer and Rogerio are playing for us, we could take just a deep breath and just ask God to center us while we're here. Um, I don't know about you, but there, my life wasn't simple this week. There's just a lot of things going on. And I know for many of you, there's a lot of things going on. Like, I'm super excited that Brian Warren is getting married. This time next week, they'll be married. I'm excited about that. So I just released one of my distractions so that I don't feel like I have to say it the whole rest of the cabinet. Like this, that's how simple sometimes just releasing some of our thoughts, the things that are holding our minds captive. Because today we really need to have all of ourselves available for the Holy Spirit to work in us. And, and it's even still getting unusual for me to talk to Sharon, who's in India right now. And he's online listening in from, I don't know, what, 7,000 miles away. I mean, this is just exciting to me that we can have this type of moment together. But I came across the scripture this past week that meant a lot to me. And I want to read it over us right now. It's found in Psalm chapter 3, verses 3 through 5, and it says this, But you, O Lord, are a shield around me. You are my glory, the one who holds my head high. I cried out to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy mountain. I lay down and slept. Yet I woke up in safety, for the Lord was watching over me. I don't know if that is meant for you as much as it was meant for me this week, but I do think that that phrase, the Lord is watching over us, is really something that I want us to feel today, is that he sees us. He sees. He's not oblivious. He's not too busy to know what's going on in each and every part of us. So I welcome you to this gathering. I welcome you into this space, and I just want to encourage you to allow yourself to be as fully present as you can. So when Summer and Rogerio invite you to stand or they invite you to raise their hands or you just feel like you need to sit, close your eyes, open your eyes, I want you to feel like that you can participate in whatever way that you need to. And for those of you online, I encourage you to participate where you are. It's not just to sit and watch on a computer screen, but to actually join us in practicing and displaying our faith. And so, Father, we commit this time to you. 
we want to just see your will being done. And so, Lord, right now we are offering ourselves to you. Um, speak to us, Lord. Use the music, use the scriptures, use the prayers. Um, and uh, we want to unlearn some things today and uh, learn some things fresh about you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of the things that we have been trying to do is reminding ourselves of the generosity of our Father in heaven. And so right now, would you join me in just saying out loud this prayer of generosity? And we say this together out of, a, out of a rhythm of practice because I would love for us to let this be what thought just gets in our head throughout the week, that this is the type of person that we are. And so say this together out loud with me. Father in heaven, there is nothing that I have that you have not given me. All I have and belong to you, bought with the blood of Jesus Christ, to spend everything on myself, and to give without sacrifice is the way of the world that you cannot follow. But generosity is the way of those who call Christ their Lord and who love him with free hearts and serve him with renewed minds. Who, withstanding the delusion of riches that chose the word, whose hearts are in your kingdom and not in the systems of the world. I am determined to increase in generosity until it can be said that there is no needy person among us. I am determined to be trustworthy with such a little thing as money that you may trust me with true riches. Above all, I am determined to be generous because you, Father, are generous. It is the delight of your daughters and sons to share in your traits and to show what you are to all the world. Amen. And you may be seated. You know, there's a few ways that we do give as an offering. For those of you that are here, those of you that are online, obviously if you're online, you can't put offerings in the boxes in the room. But there are ways in which you can give. Um, one of the easiest ways is to just go online to your bank and do uh, like a direct payment so that there's no fees added to that. But if you give through our app or through the website, there are fees associated. And usually the website will tell you what they are and give you an option to cover those fees if you want to continue to do that. But um, if you were part of our Covenant Family Meeting or our, our any of the town halls we've had as a church as we've been coming through the pandemic, uh, our trustees have set a really good financial plan for us as a church, but I have to say, things are leaner than we want them to be. We want to be able to maintain our generosity to the community and the people around us. And so if this is a time where you can just sit before the Lord and say, what do you want me to give? And you have the abilities to give more, please do so. Um, if you have questions, please ask them. But we are looking to be faithful in all that God's asked for us to do as a church family. Um, a couple of quick announcements, and then I want to introduce a very special couple to you and their family. Um, first, we have two books that we've recommended to you for the summer. And the first is a, a ton of fun. You can't read this book and not laugh out loud. Um, but What If Jesus Was Serious? This is a book on the Sermon on the Mount. And we challenged ourselves as a church this summer to read the Sermon on the Mount every day. It takes about 9 to 11 minutes, depending on your reading speed, maybe 20 if you read like me, but there's, an, there's ways that we can sit down and engage in this. 
but um, Sky has done a fantastic job of including art and simple truths, and if you can't afford this book and you would like one, let us know. We'd like to get one for you. But it is available through all those audiobooks as well as Amazon and all of that. It is a simple read. You can do it. You can probably read the whole book in a couple of hours. But I would encourage you to just do one chapter a day and really let that marinate on you. The second book was written by my friend Terrence Lester. It's a follow-up book that he's written to the book that he wrote called I See You, But This When We Stand. Um, I, I believe is going to help us as a church have a common language around how we act in justice in our city and with the people that are around us and the, the responsibilities that God has given us. Because our church does not have the capacity to seek justice on behalf of anybody and everybody all around the world. But we do have the capacity to act like Christ where we live, learn, work, and play. Where our feet go every day, and the people on our path, we can be a display of God to them, and I love the way that he encourages the church, empowers us, and would love for you to read this as well. So that, mixed with the Sermon on the Mount, I believe, is uh, exciting. Can I just get a quick show of hands? How many of you have been attempting every day to read the Sermon on the Mount? Any of you joining me? I just need a few. All right, good. That's great. A couple of you. Have any of you tried to memorize big portions of it? Um, yes, all right, all right. thanks, Jason. There's a, I want to encourage you. It is a daunting three chapters, especially chapter five. This has like 110 verses to it, it seems like. But um, I would encourage you to go through as you're reading and find sections that you can commit to memory. And let's see how much of it we can memorize by the time September 1st rolls around. All right, so with that, I don't know, if you, if you were here with us, man, it seems like three or four years ago now, because Tessa was a baby. Now she's four. Um, it's like this baby went away and this like, young lady came back. But um, Brandon and Emily uh, moved to Cambodia three years ago. And they are now back for a little bit. So I don't Brandon or Emily or both. Which one of you come up and join me? Both. Both? All right. And then if the girls want to come too, that's fine as well. But they uh, come on. All right. And uh, we'll share one mic as I think this could be hot. Um, this is, this is, do any of you remember the preacher? Any of you around when they were here before? A couple of you, yes, we got a, a few, that's nice. All right, and there's a few on the carpet in the back. But, all right, so you guys were elders with us, and, and I, I still consider you elders here. I, I haven't been used to people, so we have a meeting later today. Um, but, um, that's how it started. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, tell us a little bit about, um, you know, what, what you guys are doing in Cambodia, or explain to them what your job is and how your family is adjusted to the heat and humidity. Absolutely. That's a lot. But, well, I, I mean, I've been working with World Relief for 10 years now, and seven years is here in Baltimore, and just so glad we found this church, this body, to kind of see us through all those years. Um, the whole time we were wondering, like, when are we going to serve, live, learn overseas? We, we were for sure going to go to Burundi or to Kenya. And then here we are, we're in Southeast Asia and Cambodia. Um, but actually, it's a kind of a delightful surprise because the difficulties facing the churches in Sub-Saharan Africa are very different from the difficulties facing the very small and immature church in Cambodia. So it feels like so much more entrepreneurial. Can you unpack that just a little bit? Yeah. As you said, very small, very immature church in Cambodia. Could you just let us know what that means? 
So the statistics vary, but let's just say it's about 3% Christian. It's probably mostly in the capital of Phnom Penh. Um, there are denominations, there's many missions agencies, denominations that are serving the church. But again, mostly in the capital. Um, but outside the capital, you're really looking at home churches. So groups of families, maybe two, three families at a time, you know, six to ten people, no one with Bible training, no one with a strong understanding of the word, but pretty much a commitment to the Lord because they've experienced something. So they've experienced his power, they've experienced his love, maybe they even experienced his truth, and they've committed. And so we come alongside those churches, just help them go deeper in that understanding. Both in the Bible, what is discipleship, what are the sacraments, um, many things, yeah. It's very, and where did your family land? Like, where's your home there? And like, what, is, are you in the capital city? We are in the capital. So, Phnom Penh is kind of situated more in the center of the country, where two of the major rivers meet. Um, we're in a suburb, just kind of right outside the city, where there's two international Christian schools, and we chose one. Yeah. Hey, Eddie, can I put you on the spot and ask you a question? Is that okay? Um, what is your favorite thing about Cambodia, living there? Um, I think my favorite thing about Cambodia is the community because when we were here, I didn't have a lot of friends and I could play with every single day. And if I'm bored, I can literally just go out of the house and I have someone right next door. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. And have I seen you on a scooter? Like one of those mocap things with your dad or something like that on some Facebook? Oh, yeah. How old do you have to be before you can drive on this by yourself? Debatable. <laughs> Twelve. Twelve. That's great. That's great. Well, Two points. Yeah. Can I just add real quick that we reflect a lot on our time in Baltimore, and we like to joke that Baltimore prepared us by like horrible roads and traffic and other things to go to Cambodia. But but really, the time here in Cambodia or in, in Baltimore prepared us so much in different ways for Cambodia. And I think one of the things that Eddie mentioned is. Yeah, the community and the importance of community, the importance of being together, and yeah, so we're we're also just really thankful and encouraged to come back and see so many of you guys, and we feel we felt like we left loved, and to come back loved has been really sweet. So thank you. That's great. And then, what, what, how are like? I know you're encouraging church leaders. Are you literally traveling all of Cambodia, or do you have a small geographic region? We have like four provincial offices, and then each of those offices have staff. Um, all my staff are Khmer, so it's like me and 50 Khmer staff. So my, my, I'm pouring out into my senior leaders, and they're the ones that are really kind of leading the charge from there. But I do travel often, well, pre-COVID, of course, uh, just following up with those offices, encouraging staff, um, just keeping tabs on the quality of training and the progress that churches are making. And then also just listen. What do these churches really need? That's probably the most difficult part is how do you listen, not just to one church, but to, to many different churches and you try to determine what's best in there. And then train the staff to be able to serve in the right way. So two questions there. How can we be praying for your ministry and please pray for your family? Good. Can you start? I think um, one thing just hard to be away from family. You can pray for us as we go back. Um, you can pray for us as we head into another online school situation. We have a really great school that the girls are in, but just, as everyone here knows, it's just hard. 
And then immediately you can say, we are going back into a quarantine back in Cambodia. That um, could be pretty awful. We'd like to say we'll be in jail for two weeks uh, back in Cambodia before we get free. But um, yeah, pray for us as we, you know, we leave heavy-hearted, excited to be in Cambodia and happy that that's where God has us, but it's sad. And so you can pray for us as we head back, that the Lord would continue to encourage us and to continue to um, seek Him. And yeah. yeah I, I just, it just hit me, thinking about your family, that there, there were opportunities for people to come visit you in COVID. And so you were getting some personal touch from family, but then you got no personal touch outside of that. So wow, uh, like half your time there has been for people couldn't come see you. Oh, that's right. And that's stinks. It's just hitting. Sorry, I'm a little distracted by that. You can't tell. So. Yeah. No, it's true. And I think that would be my prayer request is just passion. And like passion in the absence of progress. I'm sure you can even experience that in this city. That you keep working and working and working. But kind of our catch cry is that we plant and God grows. So we can we can like work the soil, we can uh, add fertilizer to the soil, we can plant the seed, we can water it, we can make sure it gets enough sun, but we can't actually pull the plant out of the ground. And it's like that's what God does. And sometimes you just don't see it. And I think for me, like I get motivated by progress, right? We're human. And so when you don't see that progress, what are you getting motivated by? It's like well, you're getting motivated by your Lord. And sometimes that's not, that, that's, I don't want that, Lord. I want to see results. I don't, but I just have to wait on this timing. Uh, I felt that here and I feel that there. I think in the meantime, if we can just continue to have passion for the, for the mission, passion for expectation that, yeah, he will move in Cambodia. I think Lord Walton. That's great. Would you guys just throw me in prayer for extending a hand? Um, if some of you want to pray out loud while I'm praying, you can do that as well. But I just want to pray for them as they ask for us to pray. Father, I just want to um, just thank you that we get a chance to spend a little time with them while they're um, basically back in the States for a season. Lord, I, I pray that um, each day um, goes by slowly and they can just drink it in and rest and feel renewed, feel loved, feel encouraged, or have words spoken over them that bring life. Lord, I also pray um, that you will be with the girls in their education. I know that this has been a challenging season for children all over the world, but these four girls are experiencing the challenge of being educated in this pandemic in Cambodia. Lord, I just pray that, um, that, that you would protect their hearts, protect their minds, and let them grow not only academically, but just in the, in the knowledge and the riches of Christ. And Lord, I pray for Emily as a mom. She is um, uh, attempting to love well in what seems to be daunting circumstances. So Lord, encourage her, build her up. Lord, let her know that you see her. And Lord, for their ministry, Lord, um, I resonate with, with Brendan in this endurance on mission. Lord, there is a perseverance to the work in, in faith, and I just pray over him and over their family, that they would continue to bear the fruit of endurance and long-suffering and patience for your church. Mm-hmm. And Lord, I pray that you would give them wisdom beyond their experience, beyond any ability to read a book or go through instruction, Lord, you would just download wisdom into them for their circumstances that's attributed just to the promise that Jesus said the Spirit would do for us. And so Lord, let your Spirit move through them in power 
and in wonder, and Lord, would you cause the seeds of the church in Cambodia and the seeds of your church in Baltimore to grow and bear fruit in which it can provide shade and, and nourishment to others around it. And so, Lord, we love you, and, and, uh, and Lord, we, and we do pray favor and blessings on the Pritchard family today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. They will be around for a little while after the service before they run. So if you don't know them, please introduce yourself to them. If not, um, I still can't believe this one. You're like the size of Eddie when she left. This is crazy. I'm looking at these kids like, it's like, goodness gracious, what, what happens in three years? Um, but I'm sorry, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deal with all my distractions. Thank you guys. I probably need to pray before I teach so that um, whatever comes out of my mouth can make sense. So let's just be still for a moment. Father, we need your spirit to be our teacher today, myself included. There are so many things that I feel like our culture around us has taken from your church. And Lord, we want to reclaim some things that have been taken from us. But Father, we know that your kingdom is a non-violent kingdom, so we're not violently revolting against anything. We are coming at it with gentleness and kindness and meekness and self-control. And we want to uh, see your power on display in us. So Father, as we are focusing this summer on habits, Father, we don't want to just know things. We want to practice things in our faith. Because, Father, when life gets difficult, Father, I pray that your church has already practiced that difficulty, and therefore they have a chance to walk in victory. And so, Lord, um, yeah, Lord, would you let this right now be a preparation time for us? And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Because we... As I just prayed, we've been in a series this summer on habits, and if you can tell by the graphic, for those of you in the room, um, this is an almond tree, and the almond tree represents us. The tree shaker, the people with sticks, that represents the world. Can I just tell you that this world is going to shake you? It's going to hit you, strike your branches. There's going to be all types of violent acts towards you to see what kind of fruit falls off your tree. People want to know, like, what's going to fall off of you? Sometimes they do it intentionally. Sometimes it's unintentionally. But the decisions that the, that the culture around us is making is constantly shaking at us. And so this summer, we as a gallery church are wanting to learn from some of the practices of the first century church. What did the believers do that witnessed the ascension of Jesus? I don't know if you've ever looked, sat at the book of Acts and just paused there just for a moment and said, wow, these people saw Jesus ascend to heaven and then they went and did these things. Just let that marinate on you just for a little bit. What did the, 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 did the believers do in the first 300 years of following after Jesus? They had the confidence to proclaim Jesus as Lord. So today we're going to look at how they use physical touch in the practice of faith. Can I just say that the world has taken physical touch away from the church? That's because there are a lot of people like me that have done physical touch in the church. People in positions of pastor, elder, bishop, leader. 
that have done things, and now churches have policies that continue to push people away from physical touch. And we're going to talk about that a little bit today. What can we learn in, that will help us in our faith, in our hope, and in our love? I love this. We've quoted a lot from a man named Alan Creeder through this series. He wrote an incredible book called The Patient Ferment of the Early Church. And this is what he's quoted as saying. I think it's on the screen for you. God's mission is unhurried and unstoppable. Can I just tell you guys this? I don't know if you if you feel it today, but you are a, a part of an unstoppable movement. And we have to be we have to learn to be patient in it. So many times we get out of the movement because we become impatient. Um, I love what Peter said to the early church: greet each other with a kiss of love. Peace be with you all who are in Christ. And then what Paul said to the church in Thessalonians, he says, Dear brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all the brothers and sisters with a sacred kiss. I command you in the name of the Lord to read this letter to all your brothers and sisters. So Peter, Paul are talking to the early church about their greetings and their salutations and their reminders and they are sealing it up with a kiss, which is a physical touch. So here, Matthew chapter 5, from the Sermon on the Mount. Let me read this to us. Listen to the Beatitudes. And I'm not, I don't enjoy reading Bible out loud because I feel like I distract myself. So but let me just slowly go through this together with you. It's on the screen, or you can read along from your Bible. But God blesses those who are poor, and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. And God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. And God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And so there is a doing to our faith that is seen by other people. I want us to understand this through the Beatitudes. These, the, these Beatitudes weren't written just so they could be thoughts in our heads. They were written so they could be activity of our life. And so that brings it into the physical. Like, this is a physical participation faith. The physical activity in my life isn't just to get up on one day a week on a Sunday, maybe take a shower, maybe not take a shower, and just go to church and sit. That's not the activity of the early church. That shouldn't be the activity of this church. There should be more to it. I love what Paul said at the end of his letter to the church in Rome, in Romans 16, 16. He says, Greet each other with a sacred kiss. All the churches of Christ send you their readings. When Pastor Bill and I were talking about this teaching, he is our pastor at our Paxton Park location. He and I were talking about the fact that there's not many sermons preached on greet each other with a holy kiss. There's not many books that you can go on Amazon and download to listen to sermons on greeting each other with a holy kiss. We did find some, and I will cite that a little bit to you throughout this teaching, but Pastor Bill and I thought it would be funny to demonstrate through a video of what it was looked like for 
men to greet each other with a kiss. But we didn't shoot the video. All right? We talked about it, and some of you are like, oh, this is great, it's coming, it's coming. You don't be surprised. We might still do it throughout the course of the summer, because here's the thing. Many of us read a passage like this, we're like, oh, this sounds good, but yet I would never kiss. But then, if you were to go and spend some time with our brothers and sisters over at Patterson Park, nearly half of that congregation comes out of a portion of Central or Northern South America, which is a Latin American concentration, and they kiss each other all the time. I love being greeted by Saul and Morena, and I actually hope at some point that they can listen to this and maybe be encouraged by this. But when I go to Patterson, whether during the week or on a weekend, I see them and my soul wells up because I know that both of them are going to kiss me. I know they're going to do it. And when Lorena kisses me, it's Pastor. It's not like, I mean, there's like sound effects. Like, it's, she's, she's playing through like some amplified home theater system when she's kissing me. It's not just that she wants to show honor and respect. We have history together as brothers and sisters, and she really does treat me as family. And when I was sick back the, earlier this year, in the month of February, for like 12 days, I think she made it her purpose to prepare enough food for me to eat the entire time I was sick. When people generally plan a meal, they think, how many people are in the house? I think she thought I ran a bed and breakfast, because when they dropped off food, it was more than my family could consume. So, let me step back. Because part of the reason for this series is that I wanted to do as much research as I could on what the church did in the first, second, and third century, predominantly around Jerusalem, predominantly around the Turkish area, over towards Rome, and then predominantly around North Africa, which would have been Egypt over to Libya in our, in our geographical map nowadays. So some of you, that made total sense. Others of you, like he's just naming countries in the parade of nations at the Olympics. Like, you have no idea where they might be, but if you were to go around north, west, and north, uh, south of the Mediterranean, north of the Mediterranean, west, and south, this is where the early church got its roots, where it really started to take off. And so there were church leaders like Clement of Alexandria, Justin the Martyr, um, Tertullian, and others that were writing and leading the church. And when you look at them, they had habits. And so one of the things that I think was that stood out to me was that when they entered into a room like this, all right, I went, I went, I hope that I can make this point clear because I think we have different expectations about coming into a space like this. When they came into a place like this, it was the place where they knew they were coming to be instructed. They wanted to be instructed. They wanted to know what it really looked like to follow after Jesus. But here's one of the biggest differences. For them, it was something that was risky and potentially dangerous. Could you imagine? Like, some of you, your fear was is that, did I lock my car on the street? Will somebody try to enter my car while I'm in church? That's a fear that you may have. But the early church, when they went to church and left church, there was a risk involved. There was something that could happen to them physically, imprisonment that could come. And so a lot of it was trying to get in in secret, worship God fully, and get out and get back to their lives in a way that was safe. There was a lot of that. They knew, though, 
that it was worth it because they were leaving behind their old selves. They were leaving behind their old assumptions about life. They were leaving behind their ways that they had been taught about how to act in the community, what the culture was that was the normal culture, and they knew that coming into this room was going to be a place where they could unlearn their old way of living and learn a new way of living. To them, they referenced it um, in multiple writings in the first three centuries, comparing it to Israel coming out of Egypt. Like they had a moment that they realized they were in bondage, the people in the early church. They were set free in Christ. They crossed through the baptism of Christ. And now they were in a wilderness having to unlearn their lives of slavery so that they could be prepared to walk in the full hope of their promise. So they were thinking, I have learned things about my past that I know I need to let go of, and I see the hope of the future in Christ fully, and I can see that I'm in this gap of transition, and when they came to church, they were like, what can I unlearn today so that I can learn to walk with Jesus as my Lord more fully? And so when they came into a space like this, they viewed it as that time of 40 years in the wilderness. And can I say to us as a church, one sermon is not going to do it. They, they were meeting together nearly daily. Almost daily. And they were diligently saying, I want to be different so that I can walk in the promises of the way that Jesus wants us to go. And the question was, was, do I want to go back to my old life? And you can leave this up on the screen. Do I want to go back to my old life? Or do I want to walk in a new life? But can I just maybe make it a little bit more personal to us today? Has our life even changed since we met Jesus Christ? Do we think that just because of the fact of where we live and the fact that I go to work and I bought, I bought a house and I'm a good person and not in prison, that I'm really following the ways of Jesus. I, I, I do want to challenge us that there are a lot of people in our country that think that because they live here, it automatically makes you a Christian. Or that the, the policies and the procedures and the ways that we treat one another are automatically honoring to Jesus just because of the geography where we have to be planted. But I would just say to us, I, I would love for us to let that sermon on the mount tell us if that's true or not. How am I being instructed? So why did the early church grow? Here's my question. Why did the early church grow? Let me go back to Alan Creeder. Here's a long quote from him. It grew because Christians behaved in ways that were distinctive and suggested novel approaches to cultural problems. Let me just say this one more time. The early church grew because Christians behaved in a very distinct way that was countercultural to the culture of the Roman Empire in the 1st, 2nd, and 3rd century. Alan goes on to say their encounter with God in worship led them to come up with bodily gestures and rites that became habitual, repetitive, and reflective in ways of being. Let me just give you a quick example of this. When I was in middle school, I decided that I was a skinny kid and I needed to defend myself, and so what did I do? I went and asked my parents to, teach, to let me go and take karate lessons. I actually studied a form of martial arts called Hapkido. Anybody familiar with that? A couple of you? All right. Do not challenge me. 
I haven't practiced in 25 years, all right? So, but let me just say this. My, the, the instructor, my master, put me through repetitive practice so that if I felt a hand hit my shoulder, I could immediately respond to the stimulus that was being brought into my life. I want, do you guys understand that? Like, so if somebody was to grab my arm or grab my shoulders, there was instinctive moves that we practiced over and over and over again where all I would need is a moment's trigger to respond. And can I just say this in our faith? That's about as much as you get in a warning from the evil one every day. And if you haven't put good practice in you, and somebody pokes you, gentleness and kindness is not going to come out of you. Anger and rage is what's going to be what comes out of us. And so the early church realized that the only way that they were ever going to move forward is if some type of physical practice started to become a pattern for them. So here, let me give you just a short list of some of the things that they did in a room like this. All right? Should I make you do it with me? This thing is on the list. All right, so um, here's the first thing, standing in prayer. They just realized that in order for people to really learn to pray, that they had to put some sort of physical activity to it. So whether you were in the first century church, the second century church, or the third century church, they would stand and pray, and they would raise their hands in prayer. And this is one of my challenges to a lot of people that struggle with some of the texts about men's and women's responsibilities in church. Because they'll talk about that, but they leave out the fact that in that same passage, it tells men to stand with their hands raised in prayer. But we'll skip that, but yet we'll say women have to be silent in church. That verse is serious. But the one about men raising their hands in prayer is not serious. Okay, So that's just a side distraction that probably shouldn't have come out, but it did. But so the early church would stand... And they would raise their hands in prayer, and then they would pray out loud. And, as you'll hear in the next couple of weeks with Paula teaching on prayer and Hosea's teaching on prayer, on praise, you're going to find that it was beneficial to everybody, because if I am saying, Lord, uh, I don't have any bread to eat, but Andrew is standing praying to God next to me, and he has three extra loaves in his house, he hears, I have no bread. And the Holy Spirit lays it on his heart to give me a loaf of bread. And, it, and so there's a calling to our Father, and our brothers and sisters are hearing it. And there was a movement inside just because they took time to practice physically, auditory, and response all at the same time. This was, there's numerous stories I was reading. One of the other things that they did is they never came to church empty-handed. One of the physical practices that they would do is they would literally bring a garment or food to church to put on a shelf so that people that came to church could pick from it to go home with it. So they knew that they needed to be generous. And so they built in, and I'm saying this is three centuries of church history, they were redundantly building this into a room like this. When they would gather together, they physically joined into, physically participating into the generosity towards one another. They also, as Ginger talked about last week, Practice receiving hospitality. Can I just say, some of us really stink at this. We are like, oh, I don't know what to do when other people are around me. We've got to break this down. 
There's nowhere in the Bible that says introverts get an exemption to a hospitality. There's nowhere where it says that extroverts can't learn some self-control, right? They're, they're, we can't be bound up. Um, I was reading, uh, Eugene Peterson is one of my uh, church history heroes in modern history. I love Eugene Peterson. I know there's, his biography came out, but one thing that I read in his biography that made my soul just go, yes, Lord, is he hated personality tests. I, some of you are like, what? I don't like it anymore. Um, but he, he was like, the church is becoming crippled because people are taking personality tests and they're saying, well, this is just the way that I am. And they're not realizing that through the Holy Spirit, we learn to be new people altogether. And that we can unlearn and relearn new practices. And so um, they practice hospitality. And I want to encourage you, if you missed last week, to listen to that teaching on hospitality. Um, the other thing that they did, and I think because the Catholic Church and Episcopal Churches have taken this on, a lot of people in Baptist and Presbyterian and other non-denominational denominations have stopped using it, but they practice either forming the cross on their face or forming the cross on their chest as a way of saying, I'm putting on the armor of God today. And so they didn't want to leave the house ill-prepared for whatever evil attack was going to come. So they practiced physically crossing themselves in worship so that they would remember on Monday morning to cross themselves so that I am dressing in the armor of God so that I can go into my day being fully dressed because with my faith in Jesus, I get a bag of armor? Why would I leave it at home and go into the world and be like, oh man, I think I forgot something. So they had a, a discipline of crossing themselves so that they could remind each other of the narrative of Jesus Christ and say, I need to be prepared to fight this battle today. They also would come to the Lord's table and the Eucharist table as a physical example of what it looks like to live like Jesus in our day and time. But can I tell you this? One of the things that, that stood out to me in the early church is they had a very strong commitment to fasting. But what broke my heart as I was reading it, just conviction, they didn't just fast because there was something they, they wanted God to do. They fasted intentionally, at least in the second century what I was reading, because the church was so poor and so illiterate and so oppressed that the families fasted two days a week so that they wouldn't eat those meals so they could give them away. So I just want you to hear, hear this. They had food, but they intentionally knew that they could survive eating five days a week. And they intentionally didn't eat two days a week so that they could provide those food to the deacons to take to families that weren't going to eat that day if they didn't get food. But they were disciplining themselves to go through hunger spells so that others wouldn't be hungry. Physically engaging in practices to grow in their faith. And then there's the passage for today. The holy kiss, the kiss of peace, as it's been called. So the early church, let me just put it up here on the screen for you, the early church claimed that through their worship services, God changed them and strengthened them to cope with the precarious realities and daunting problems of daily living. This is why they came to church. This is why they went through practices. So, Hospitality 
must not neglect the body. Like, we can't neglect the body. Hospitality involves things like us preparing a table, opening a door, saying hello, but there has to be some sort of physical touch. In 1 Corinthians 16, 20, Paul writes, Greet one another with a holy kiss. Romans 16, 16, 1 Corinthians 16, 20, 2 Corinthians 13, 12, 1 Thessalonians 5, 26, and then Peter gets in on the action. 1 Peter 5, 14. Can I just say this? There's commands to kiss five times in Scripture, and there's commands to come to the Lord's table five times in Scripture. So why do we come to the Lord's table with a lot of emphasis, but we don't talk about not learning to kiss one another with a kiss of peace? or a kiss of love, why has that become something that we've excluded? If our church is a family, then family affection is appropriate and necessary. But we cannot become a kissing booth, and I'll talk about that in just a minute. Because physical touch matters. We're not just brains. We aren't just disembodied souls. We are physical beings that ache and get tired and get exhausted. There are people in this world that need us to pat them on the back. There are people in this world that need a side hug. There are people in this world that need us to appropriately grab an elbow or hold a hand. There is a reason for us to learn why the early church was told to give a kiss of peace or to have a holy kiss. A widow does not need you to simply say, hello, how are you? I have learned that my mom needs me to stand in front of her and hug her until she lets go. I can't replace my dad. Can't do it. But I can stand there and let her hug me until she's tired of the hug. There are children in our church that need us to do more than to say stop running and slow down. There are children in our church that need men and women that are in this church to join with the parents and pat them on the head and pat them on the back and say, God loves you. God cares for you. God has a plan for you. There are redeemed men and male and female prostitutes that need to be able to come into the church and for the people of the opposite sex to not have to, not to lust after them and to find true love in the church, to find words of affirmation, but also appropriate types of touch that aren't abusive. Because that's what Jesus has to offer the world. Because the world is already telling them what the world has to offer them, and it's a taking advantage of them. So we in the church can't just keep our physical touch to ourselves because there's people inside the church that absolutely are starving for us to show them the love. In short, I believe this, to be the body of Christ, we must learn to show our care for one another. We must learn to show it. Some of you have been to some of our growth communities and had great experiences. Others of you have been to some of our growth communities, which is our small group life, and had horrible experiences. Because when you walked in, you didn't feel love at all. You just saw a group of people that were very comfortable with each other, and you felt like the outsider. Shame on us. Shame on us for that. Somehow we've got to figure out what it looks like. One of the commands for the Holy Kiss was mentioned in a sermon I did back in February. 
I don't know if you were here when we were going through our replant series in preparation for us actually having moments that we could be back together. But I talked about Perpetua and Felicity, which were sisters in the Lord. One was actually a free woman and one was a slave, but they were being discipled by an elder in the church and they ended up on the stadium floor of the amphitheater in Carthage where a Roman soldier had put them through the gauntlet of, of tests to kill them in front of the full stadium. And as the soldier ran them through with a sword, they kissed one another and looked at the audience as a way of saying, Jesus is alive. I am at peace. We are in love with each other as sisters. And they publicly kissed each other in that huge amphitheater. And I was sharing this with us because they practiced their faith somewhere. So that when they were on that amphitheater before, they knew what to do. They didn't just randomly get there and be like, wow, now what do we do? Like, they naturally responded to a sword being run through their body to look at each other and say, we know we're getting ready to see Jesus. Let's show a physical act of peace to this audience to let them know we're holding no ill intent against the soldier. We're loving our enemy, and we are, in a way, being a physical display of God's greatness in the world. That was what took place with Perpetua and Felicity. So how did they live their lives in the day? So that in a moment of the greatest stress they had ever faced, they could support one another with such love and peace. Church, we've got to figure something out. Because I have a feeling that if we felt that type of persecution, that wouldn't be our response. It would be really difficult for that to be the way that we would, in turn, show ourselves. Um, in all my research this week and last week, I found that Tertullian, a 2nd century church leader in North Africa, was the inventor of the term, the kiss of peace. So he described the kiss of peace as a backwards look. So the kiss sealed up everything that had just happened. So they would do it at the end. So at night, they would gather for church. They would start with the Eucharist. It was the meal. And they would intentionally eat small portions so that there was some left over, so the deacons can then wrap it up and take it to people that weren't there that needed to eat. So it was an actual meal. And then they would go into all of their ways of testimony. So like Brandon and Emily are here, gave testimony of what it was like to serve the church in Cambodia. They would give moments for people from other places to share about their church life, share prophecies, share things. But at the very end of the gathering, they would kiss to seal up in Christ everything that had just happened. That's Tertullian. Some of you might be familiar with Justin the Martyr. He was in Rome, leading the church. He switched the service from at night to early in the morning. So they went from having night services because in Rome it was safer to meet early than it was at night. And so they had their liturgy, and so it was the first thing they did. They greeted each other with a kiss that was forward-looking. This is who we are in Jesus Christ. Now let's worship and strengthen who we are in Christ. Tertullian, let me teach you who you are in Christ. Let's seal that up. Justin, let me remind us who we are at the very beginning. And now let's just do everything we can to learn what it's like to be brothers and sisters. That's how it works. So what was, what was the Roman world like? How did they kiss in the Roman world? Let me just say this. It wasn't a kissing culture. It's not like Latin America. 
This was not a place where you just kissed everybody on the cheek or like Hollywood where actors are every time they see each other. That's not the culture of the red carpet days that we see. Rome was a very familial culture. You only kissed your parents, you kissed siblings, occasionally you'll be a friend. And the only other ways I could research and find kissing in the Roman Empire was somebody saying, whose hand did you kiss to get the job that you have? So it was a hierarchical kiss. So basically, in our way, it would be like, whose butt did you kiss, right? Theirs was, whose hand did you kiss to get the position of authority that you have? That's how kisses was in Rome. So could you now imagine the early church being told to kiss each other and they weren't blood relatives? Could you imagine having to kiss the manager of the home where you were the slave because you both were now in Jesus Christ? Could you imagine a Roman having to kiss a Jew and a Jew having to kiss a Gentile? Like, this is who was in the room. Men and women. Uh, Clement of Alexandria actually assigned a person to watch the room to make sure kisses stayed appropriate. They had a kissing monitor in their church. Could you imagine on our team of people that helped serve the church where there'd be one of you every Sunday aside, I'm the one to monitor kisses. We don't have that need, right? Because we don't kiss each other. But this this is what was going on. So into the world, the Christians came, admonished by Paul and Peter to greet each other with a holy kiss. So 2 Corinthians 13, 11 through 12. Dear brothers and sisters, I close my letter with these last words. Listen to what he buries the kiss in. Be joyful. Grow to maturity. Encourage each other. Live in harmony and peace. Then the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet each other with a sacred kiss. All God's people here send you their greetings. So he's immersing the command to kiss in reminders of what the fruits of God's Spirit look like when we are actually living it out. So why did the early church leaders see the kiss as so important? This is what I think. The kiss was the early church's way of saying following Jesus is countercultural. I want you guys to hear this. It's countercultural where we live today, too. It made the early Christians uncomfortable. Can I say this? Many people think, oh, the command that the early church was like, oh, yay, we get, we're kissing. This is great. Sash. No, they didn't like it. It's about as, it would, make, it would be just as awkward as if I said right now, okay, turn around, you're going to wash the feet of the people around you. You're like, well, I know there's foot washings in church, but there are a couple of you in here that I know I can't see you all. Um, but there are a few of you that I know that have mentioned to me, I'm glad we don't wash feet very often because I have a phobia of feet. Can I just say this? There are a lot of you that have phobia of kissing. And that would have been how the early church would have felt, but they had to practice it. They were told to practice it. They were reminded to practice it because they needed a counterformation. Can I just say this to us? We need a different formation to our life. If we keep doing the things that we've always done, we are going to stay conformed to our old ways. But if we're going to truly learn what it is like to love God and to love our, each other as brothers and sisters, something has to change in order for me to be framed up and able to move forward differently. So why is this important? First is identity. They were a new family. We are a new family. Period. We're not just friends. We're not just members of the church. 
We're family. And we have to develop some family practice, brothers and sisters. Reconciliation. It was a group of new people, and they had to learn to live together. You can't go around and fake kissing each other and live in disunity. The command in the, the Sermon on the Mount to deal with your issues with one another before you come to the table was how they would deal with this holy kiss. Like, get it right with each other, kiss and move on. Like, let's be brothers and sisters, firmly reconciled to one another. Alan Creeder said this, he says, every week's worship service, the kiss of peace, was the practice in which the believers who were at peace blessed each other in the peace of Christ and in which they recognized that they were not reconciled, they could experience God's peacemaking. Can I just tell you guys, it is possible for you and I to become at peace with people that we're in conflict with. It is possible. It's the message of the church. Reconciled siblings in God's family could eat together at the Lord's table. So here's one point of humor. I, I found this. I thought it was really funny. Uh, Clement of Alexandria wrote this. He was complaining about the kissing noises in the church. Here's what he says. There are some who make the assembly resound with nothing but their kisses. That's what he actually wrote in his letter to the early church. So can I just tell you this? We are silent in our kisses, but something happened in Alexandria in North Africa there in Egypt where they were kissing so much that it bothered their bishop. So could you guys just flatter me just for a moment? On the count of three, could you just go, Mwah! Could you just do that one time? One, two, three. Oh, that, was an, that was not obnoxious. That was not All right, one more time. One, two, three. All right, there's a couple of you got more into it. I'm actually now going to write a letter to Pastor Bill and Aida and complain about the noises and kisses in our church. But they wanted to adopt practices that symbolized what it was like to be a loving and close family. So they were doing everything they could to develop practices that showed that they were a loving and close family. The Christians were enacting a new world in, it, in which equity and reconciliation were possible. I don't think we understand this because, thank you Jesus, so much of our life has progressed so that we, around people of diversity, are more comfortable. But there are still a lot of people that think they're better than other people, but in the church. That can't happen here. I don't care how much money you have in the bank or how little money you have in the bank. I don't care if you own a home, rent a home, or have no home. I don't care where it is in this, in this room, we're equal. We are brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, and when we go outside of this room, we're equal. Why would we leave a brother and sister in distress? Why would I not sacrifice for the sake of a brother and sister in need? The early church knew that it needed to be practiced if they were actually going to accomplish it. So what can we learn? The early church leaders were recommending physical gestures of peace because it's essential in order for you and I to be obedient. So I would say that the churches that I grew up in, they really only taught me one physical discipline really just one, and that was to get up early and have a devotion. That's all that I can remember in regards to physical activity that I was ever encouraged to do. I don't ever remember as a kid being, I, 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 hold on, let me take that back. Wait a minute, there's a 1A. One, one, one 
We were told during the church to turn and greet one another. You guys remember that moment in church? Turn around and shake a hand. Um, kind of the thing. And so some people would, and then others would shake and not say anything. And just, I'm just literally, but I'm grateful. That was something just hit me. But there's so much more to our life than just disciplining ourselves to set a clock to have time with Jesus. There's so many things that when you spend time with Jesus has to become a part of our life. And physical touch is in that. There is a peace and a reconciliation that comes when we come to Eucharist. Now, I can't wait till we get past the pandemic and knowledge we can have the big loaves of bread and big cups of drink again for us to be able to come to the table. This to me just seems like a toy. It seems so little. But we are going to start in September if the pandemic doesn't pick up in this region and we still have some freedoms having our brunches, having some meals together so that we can actually discipline ourselves to share with the community around us, to send our deacons away from this building with food to deliver, right? We need to do those things, but there's a lot that we need to practice so that when we are tested, we can stand. And can I just say, there are brothers and sisters in this room right now that probably haven't been hugged all week. I remember my first job in Cincinnati, Ohio. Clough Pike Baptist Church was the name of it. Um, one of my first days in the ministry, we had our first, I was a youth pastor, so it was a Wednesday night. Some teenagers came into the room. It was about a room maybe with this many people in it. And this one young man was there, and I just put my arms around him, and he did the, you know, the, the hug thing. Just like, you know, you know, say some of you are identifying that, because that's how you take my hugs. Um, but he did this, and then immediately started crying. He was like 15 years old. And he's like, I've never been hugged by a man before. Never. It did something in me, because I grew up in an overly expressive family. Did you know comments? Um, and so... With that, it just hit me that there are people that are wanting to follow after Jesus that don't know what it is like to have brothers and sisters that love them. So they're even trying to fathom what it's like to have a Father in Heaven that loves them. And then we get a chance to physically touch one another. Uh, let's pray together. Father, I'm not sure exactly what my brothers and sisters really need in this room right now. Some of them need the physical touch that we just talked about. Others of them need to be the ones to give it. And so I just ask your Holy Spirit right now to move us. Show us. I'm giving all of you a chance to respond to this right now. Um, what, what about my teaching is making you uncomfortable? When you walk into a room like this, what makes you uncomfortable? What's the Holy Spirit saying to you about being in a room like this and being comfortable around people? What is it's a real question? What is the Holy Spirit saying to you? What comes to mind when you realize that both Paul and Peter told the early church to kiss each other as many times as he told them to go to the Lord's table? So what's the Holy Spirit saying to you about that? We do have a family language in our church. We talk about being a family all the time. We are a new family. 
We have a father that sets a standard for our family. Do you guys understand that? It's not a democracy. We don't get to vote. Dad says we do. That's how it is. That's the church. Father. And in our family, we're supposed to live together and love together the way that Jesus loved us. Is this truth about our Father in Christ enough for you to set aside your cultural practices, set aside what you think is established in your life so that we can show love and equity to one another? What's the Holy Spirit saying to you? And right now we're going to come to the Lord's table together. So if you're online, I'd love for you to get a, a, a cup and the bread. There's some um, Lord's table supplies uh, at the Lord's tables. Um, if anybody needs one, I also have a basket up here. I can pass around. Now this is for those of us, obviously, that are believing in Christ. This, uh, for those of you that don't believe, this really isn't for you, because this is what Jesus, this is our statement of our faith and our hope and our love. This is our statement that our Father sent the Son so that we could come out of our slavery into His promises, that we could be forgiven of our sins. And so, right now, I would love for you to take time to take the wafer from the bottom of the cup. Be careful. I've many times dropped it because it's really hard to hold because it's a speck of a wafer. Um, and again, this is supposed to be a meal. Right? This should be us talking about Jesus, talking about our faith as brothers and sisters more than just a moment. Um, but this is the time for us to practice our faith. This is his body broken. This is going to be my body broken for you and your body broken for me. If we're really following Jesus, it's going to cost us something for each other. Like the early church fasted for two days so they could give the food from those days away. That cost them so that they could be ready for somebody else. And so right now I love for you to just look across the room at somebody and just say, this is his body broken for you. And let's do this together. If I was like Clement and Alexandra, I'd be like, man, they're chewing this so loud. Um, <laughs> so, um, and then with the cup, if you want to peel back the lid to that cup, um, and this is to remind us that the shedding of Christ's blood forgave us of our sins, and there will be a pouring out of our lives for the freedom of other people, and hopefully that's inside of our church. We'll do that for one another. But right now, I just love for us to hold the cup up to each other and just say to each other, um, that um, our sins are forgiven. And let's take this together. And as a church, we have joined in the long tradition of the declaration of the mystery of our faith. And we've summarized it in three statements like throughout church history we've been saying. So would you join me in that right now? Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. I've been trying to take some time to do some questions and response, but if you have questions about today, I would encourage you to come up to me. My teaching went a little longer than I would have liked. I want to release our families. 
with kids, but if you have some questions, I would love to receive those. Um, I am, let me give you a couple of things. We're monitoring every week the things that we're out of the pandemic, and we're maintaining the, the trust with each other that those of us that are safe to come together without masks, we continue to do that. But if you feel safe to, to wear a mask, we want you to do that. Um, but that's obviously changing in a lot of ways, and we're going to try to be sensitive to what our medical and local authorities are asking of us. So just know that we're going to keep that. We aren't registering any longer online. We just want people to come, invite. Um, the next few Sundays, I, my, my family will not be here. We're taking a, some time for vacation, and then we're taking my son off to college, um, which is crazy. I want to be an empty nest for the next time you see me, which I can't even begin to imagine. And, and I cover your prayers. I'm grieving that at the same time as I'm excited about that. Um, but the next uh, several Sundays is you're going to get a chance to hear from some of our elders. Paul is going to talk to us about the practice of prayer next week. Ogeri is going to be talking to us about the passion of praise in the church. And then my friend Leon Pinkett is going to come to us and talk about the purity, how they practice purity in the early church. And so, and then Lana's going to be coming back from a trip to Russia, and she's going to be teaching us on how the early church disciplined themselves to be good businessmen and women in their culture. Like they took time in their gatherings to practice good business. And so maybe we'll learn some good things out of this this month together. And so would you stand with me? Let me give a closing benediction. Um, it's a, good to see you guys. Thanks for being faithful as we're coming through this pandemic together. But as we go from here today, may we not love one another the way that we should. May we learn how to show physical touch in ways that's appropriate and encouraging and building one another up. May we learn to be the initiators of love in this family. I don't want to be the only initiator. Let's learn to initiate together and learn to express ourselves. May we discover inside the gallery what is the equivalent of a holy kiss and let's develop the culture of, of, of our future family now and not just dealing with the junk of our past family. I want our eyes fixed on Christ moving forward. Whatever he wants for us, that's what we need in here. May God's grace and peace be with you. Amen. All right. <laughs>